0: Hi everyone! Welcome to the It's Growing Season podcast. I'm your host Maggie and this series will be about all things related to real growth, true health and wellness, and learning to love and care for yourself. Thank you so much for being here with me today. I hope this podcast inspires you to invest in yourself more and to never stop growing into the best version of you. So without further ado, let's jump right into the show! Hi everyone, welcome back to the It's Growing Season podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today for another episode. I'm super excited to share my conversation with Arthur with you today. Arthur is the founder of the company Our View, which is a program that is designed to raise awareness about and to educate the population at large about disabilities and to change the tone of conversation concerning those who have disabilities. We talk about breaking barriers to self-care, we talk about the work that he does, and as a fellow podcaster, it was really exciting to talk to someone else who has been using this platform to express their thoughts and to raise awareness about important issues. Our view has core values of education, collaboration, compassion, simplicity, diversity, and empathy, which you will hear about later in this episode. I'm super excited to share this conversation with you all. And without further ado, let's jump right into the episode. Hi, Arthur. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you uh, taking the time out to uh, have this conversation.
0: I feel so honored to have you on my show today, especially as a fellow podcaster. Um, Before we dive into the conversation today, could you tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do so the listeners can get to know you first?
1: Great, so uh, my name is Arthur Aston. I am from the United States. I live in New Jersey and I've lived here all of my life. I will be 40 years old this year. Um, which is a great thing that I always like to mention because I was born with a birth defect called spina bifida, which impacted my mobility. So I use leg braces to walk and crutches, and then at times I do use a wheelchair as well. So um, a little bit about what I do. I actually have two jobs. I uh, work as executive director of a nonprofit here in the state of New Jersey where we build inclusive playgrounds. So the playground is fully accessible to anyone that has any type of mobility aid. And it also has special features uh, for people who have autism, people who are visually impaired, hearing impaired. And uh, it's a fully all inclusive playground. We have two in the state of New Jersey. We are Uh, looking forward to this new year of 2021 where we can get back to uh, working with the seven townships uh, that we were working with pre-COVID to build new playgrounds here in the state of New Jersey. And then um, my second job is I own a disability awareness and uh, consultant company called Our View. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W. And uh, the goal and the mission of the company is to raise awareness, educate, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. So that is um, Our View. uh, The Our View podcast is is where I created the podcast through uh, that company with the same goals of uh, raising awareness, educating, and changing the tone of conversation through telling my own story and uh, the stories of others who either have disabilities or uh, those who work with those who have disabilities
0: hmm What do the playgrounds look like? That, sound, that sounds so interesting. Like, how does it become more accessible for people with um, certain mental or physical disabilities?
1: Yeah. So our playgrounds are the, the main feature that makes them different than your typical playground is that the surfacing is a non-latex rubberized surfacing. So it's, it's layered. There's um, stone and gravel underneath but on top it's a a bouncy surface so uh, as a wheelchair user i can wheel my wheelchair around the whole playground where a lot of um i don't know how they are in the rest of the world but here in in the united states primarily there's either uh, wood chips or um, ground uh, gravel ground up stone that make up the uh, surfacing of a lot of your typical playgrounds which are impossible to get through in a wheelchair <laughs> and uh, very difficult to get through if you're using crutches or if you have some type of uh, walker or something like that. So that's the primary uh, difference in the playgrounds that we uh, create. Uh, another feature that we have is that they uh, have ramps that go from the base of the playground all the way up to the highest uh, point on the playground. And the, um, What do we have? We have a, um, it's called a a sway fun. So it gives you um, a rocking motion like a boat, uh, which is something that a lot of, a lot of people with different types of disabilities, they don't have that, uh, they don't get that sensation and and it activates the vestibular uh, system within the body. So uh, we have that. And then we have also, uh, our swings have uh, a reclined, like a bucket style of seat. So for people that have, uh, that may have motor control issues, they won't fall out of the swing and, and you can attach a harness to the swings. So it's um, a lot of features that uh, one of our playgrounds has a, a braille feature for those who have vision impairments and uh, a lot of music things for, you know, for uh, for all those kinds of, all, all, all kinds of great features that we're uh, really excited to offer because although there are so many people in the world who have disabilities, these types of playgrounds are, they're not too common. So they are, we are seeing more of them pop up around the country and the world, but, um, you know, our goal is to make sure that every child has access to uh, to play. Because who who doesn't enjoy playing?
0: <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So Arthur and I actually connected through a podcasting Facebook group, where I was curious to learn more about the intersection between self care and disabilities, um, whether that be physical or mental. Because I have a brother with autism, and recently I've been thinking about how a lot of the values that I preach in my personal life and on my podcasts about you know, self-love and self-care are not really understood by him. So I wanted to ask you, just to get started, would you say that self-care comes in a different form for people living with disabilities or is self-care like a universal concept?
1: That's a good question. And I think um, for myself, Self-care is, it's a lot of things. Being, like I said, I I do live in the United States and uh, I receive a disability check every month, which is not the greatest amount of money. (laughs) Uh, And when you you hear self-care, I think a lot of people automatically go to the massages and the things that cost a lot of money which, yes, we all enjoy, uh, but as a person who lives with a disability that's on a fixed income, it's difficult to get to those types of self-care activities on a, a regular basis as somebody who you know, has a, a larger income. It's it's difficult uh, for someone like myself to to appreciate and indulge in those types of self-care activities. So I think self-care looks... It, it looks a lot different for someone like me and I'm, I'm speaking just for me. I can't speak for everybody else, but, uh, self-care looks, looks just like a, a day to myself listening to an audiobook Sometimes, <laughs> uh, you know, the audiobook I never got to that's still sitting on my, uh, you know, in my computer, on my, uh, on my phone. It's, uh, you know, it's just going out. I live near a uh, a river. So just going outside on a nice sunny day when it's not 32 degrees outside like it is now, but uh, <laughs> going out and sitting by the river just for a couple of hours and getting some fresh air and stepping away from everything, stepping away from technology and the TV and the news and, and all of that, that um, all of the things that can take over and add stress to our lives. And uh, I live... I can be to the uh, Atlantic Ocean here in New Jersey. I can be there within an hour. So, you know, on a spring day or a nice fall day or summer day, I'll just drive down, tell my mom and a couple of friends where I'm going. I might pick up my phone. I might not. um, But just to escape. And like I said, listen, put my headphones in, listen to some music, listen to an audio book. So I I think um, self-care can be uh, many, many different things for for everybody.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think nowadays, like with the media and this whole wellness culture, self-care can seem like a very glamorous thing that you have to spend a lot of money and time and energy on, but it can be as simple as all the things that you just said.
1: Yeah, the one thing I do um, that I can say I do uh, appreciate and enjoy and indulge in, and I try to go once a month, of course, it's been uh, the time frame has been a little uh, different because of the COVID restrictions, but I do what's called a sensory deprivation float, yeah. where it's, um, I think it's like two feet of, of salt water and you're in a pool that's, you know, six feet or seven feet long and six feet or seven feet wide and you float. Wow. And it really helps with um, the magnesium from the salt really helps alleviate the tension in my body. Uh, so I, I, like I said, pre-COVID, I was doing that once a month. I think in 2020, I went, I think I went four times, three or four times, because they were closed for, uh, because of the restrictions. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's something that I do. You know, I make sure that I have the money for it, and and I go every uh, every month or every chance that I can, <laughs> that I can take uh, to do that for myself for 90 minutes, and just like I said, it relaxes everything. It gives me some time to relax and be in the dark and silence and just uh, quiet my mind and everything. And then the after effects of that are that I get like almost two weeks of being pain free. So it really does. uh, You know, that's like my ultimate self care that I like I said, that I make sure I take the time out to do every, uh, every month.
0: Wow, that sounds amazing. Is it just like a, like a bath and you're in the dark and just floating? On yes,
1: Whoa. yes, but it's it's a huge it's it's a huge bathtub. They actually call them pools where I go because it's not um it, it's a small it's a small room really mm-hmm. that you're in and the ceiling's really high, so it's not like you're not closed in in anything. Like they try to get the water close to like body temperature, so you really feel like you're floating on air. It's wow, yeah, it's really amazing. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really great. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. So I've also reflecting on my own actions about, you know, like what I do every day to be more helpful or more compassionate towards my own brother. And, you know, what I do for my brother is like, I try to make him happy by perhaps buying the food that he likes or going on walks with him because he really, really enjoys the metro here in Taiwan and compare it to what he actually needs. And that's kind of a dilemma that I've been struggling with like what he wants versus what he actually needs. Um, So I wanted to ask you, do you think that as a family member or like uh, a loved one, it's an obligation to quote unquote help someone living with a disability, take care of themselves? Or do you think there comes a point where they have to learn to do things for themselves to live a more happy and fulfilling life?
1: I think that is, I, th- I think there's a, a good, I don't know what the balance is, but there has to be a balance in in that. Uh, I live on my own. I live by myself. <clears throat> um, it, again, because it's the time that we're in, We I keep bringing up the COVID, <laughs> the pandemic, but over the last year, it really has shown me what Great support and a great network that I have of people. As I said, I live by myself. Um, right before everything shut down here in New Jersey, I I was looking at the news and I saw that things were kind of getting um, a little hectic, and they were concerned about you know the pandemic and and the virus coming hitting the United States, and the numbers were starting to increase a little bit, and that was around early March of 2020. So I was like, okay, maybe I should go to the store and get some food and just kind of chill out and stay in the house for a little bit. And that's what I did. And I actually, I was in the house for 35 days before I went back out again. <laughs> so um, I was impressed with that myself. And then I finally was just like, I have to go outside. I have to see people. Uh, but even after that, the amount of phone calls that I got, not just I, uh, my mom and my um, other family relatives, but from friends who just called or texted and said, hey, I'm stopping at the store on my way home from work. Do you need anything? Um, You know, and and of course, sometimes I said yes. And and most of the time I said, no, I'm okay. And and I was, but I I wasn't afraid to say, yes, I need something. You know, can you pick up something for me? So I think uh, for me, the people who know me and I, My closest friends are friends that I've had since middle school, since ninth grade. And as I said, I'll be 40 this year. And uh, people from college who I know, so that was many years ago as well. But uh, the people who know me, they know I like to be independent and I can do things on my own. But then there's also the, hey, I'm just checking on you and um, making sure you don't need anything um, and if you do, like, let us know, we'll drop it off, we'll pick it up for you, whatever you need. And just um, simple things like I have a, a, my best friend, she would come over often. And um, one time I told her, I said, you know, I don't even think you realize, but every time you come over, you ask me one question, every single time you come over and she looked at me like, what? I said, you ask me if I need you to do anything before you leave. And it's like that simple question. And it's just like, do you need me to take your trash out? Do you need me to, uh, as I said, I have a mobility disability. So if I don't wear my braces, I can't stand up. Um, So I have to like get a chair or something to get something out of a high cabinet. So she's like, do you need anything in your cabinets? Do you need, do you need me to do anything before I leave? And I'm just like, what? Like, you don't know what that means to me. Like just that simple question. And, and she genuinely means it. And so, so just to, um, to, to have that balance though, to know like that, you know, for in your case, your brother to know that he's okay, but then also know that like, Hey, you, you can be there for him and also help him and do the things that he wants to do. Like you said, the, the food and the, the Metro, it's just like something easy and simple like that. It's like, Hey, let's go, let's go do this. Mm-hmm. That's, um, that, that's the kind of thing that means the most to me, just, uh just knowing that people are there and Mm. people want, want to help. And, uh, but also at the same time, they give me my space and independence to do, uh, do what I'm able to do.
0: Mm -hmm. What did the transition for you look like from, you know, being a child and then slowly transitioning to full independence? Because I'm wondering, since like what you just said, probably only apply to adults, but what about people who are younger, perhaps teenagers or still young, like living under
1: like an authority? Right. It, I think that is a, a genuine concern for everybody if they have a disability or not of you know for a parent like what kind of space do you give your teenagers <laughs> mm-hmm. of you know how late they can stay out and who they can go out with and whose house they can go over and, and all those kinds of things and i i i think it just really uh i think it just really comes down to knowing your child knowing that person one of my big things is and i talked about it on my podcast and i'll share it here is <clears throat> uh before the age of 13 or so, I wore, I had to wear diapers because I didn't have any control over my bowels and bladder. And uh, after I had surgery that corrected that, I have to empty my bladder with the use of a catheter every four to six hours. And every four to six hours, I have to (laughs) empty my bladder. So until I got on that schedule of doing it and where I didn't have to set a timer or my parents didn't have to tell me, my mom and dad were just like, okay, well, then until you can get that under control, you can't go anywhere <laughs> because you have to, you know, nobody's going to tell you to do that all the time. So you have to really, uh, you know, as a as me as myself, a person with the, the disability, I had to really like know what my what my own routine was going to be in that case. And it was like, okay, if I want to go to my cousin's house and stay the weekend. I need to show them that I can be responsible to do this. <laughs> um, and if not, it it's going to be something that could possibly um, result in me having to go to the hospital. So it was like, okay, I need to get on the ball with this. And if I, I you know, I remember back then I did have a, a watch that I could set a timer on and set it for every four hours and it would beep and I would, you know, go to do what I had to do. So I think it's just a, um, again, a good balance of, Knowing yourself and knowing that person uh, who has the disability, and and finding out what their limitations are, what their boundaries are, and just encouraging them to also do what they can, and just offering the support of like, hey, I'll be here. You know, I'm here if if you need me. But you know, you can do it. Encouraging them to you know, to to do their own thing and live their, live their life as well, even, you know, at no matter what age, just uh, offering that support and knowing, having them know that the support is there,
0: mm-hmm. I think is a big thing. Yeah, in a way, I, f- I feel like it's kind of similar to any other child who needs to prove their independence, like needs to prove that they're capable of taking care of themselves to go to a right. friend's house or go to a sleepover.
1: Right. Yeah, I think it is. It's just, yeah. and it's just an extra you know, an extra thing or two that, that I, I would have to do, or any person with a disability might have to do. But it's like, yeah, until you can prove that you're responsible, that's what exactly what my parents told me. Until you can prove you're responsible to do that on your own, where we don't have to remind you, it's like, you got to hang out with us then. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh no. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, okay, well, I guess I have to get it together. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, I, and I did, I, I did that very quickly. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Um, And also on my show, I talk a lot about body liberation, body neutrality, and body acceptance from like a female's perspective in terms of diet culture. And um, how I want to relate this to our conversation is that the term body acceptance has been a topic of, of debate because how can you accept a part of yourself that you don't like yet you can't change? For example, uh, genes determining your natural body weight or bone structure or a mental condition or physical defect that you were born with. And I was wondering what your thoughts are on that, like the term body acceptance.
1: It's a daily struggle now for me, even at my age and living with my condition my whole life because it's, um, as I mentioned, a a lot of things hurt all the time. My back hurts, my knees hurt. Uh, I use I use crutches and a wheelchair, so my shoulders and arms hurt. And even in the uh, last year, where my activity has been limited because I'm not doing as much as um, as I'm used to with going outside and interacting with people, that causes things to hurt too. <laughs> so it's kind of like uh, it, it's really difficult from from that point of view, from that perspective of like, oh my goodness, like if I didn't have to use these crutches, my shoulders wouldn't hurt all the time. If I didn't have to use this wheelchair, my shoulders wouldn't hurt. Uh, if I didn't have to wear these braces, my my knees wouldn't hurt. And it's just, um, you know, so it is, it's very frustrating. And then as far as like my digestive system, I can't eat a lot of things, um, a lot of healthy things with, um, I'll say with a lot of fiber, like so vegetables and drinking, you know, drinking the amount of water I'm supposed to drink, that doesn't always work with my digestive system. And because I, I did have the issues with my bowels and bladder, it's like, I know how to control that. And I know that, for example, as I said, eating too many vegetables or drinking too much water will disrupt that and interrupt that. And that's, you know, so I I try not to drink too many sodas or juices and things like that. But I also have to stay hydrated. <laughs> so it's, it's a constant struggle of, staying healthy and then mixed with the, uh, frustration of, oh my goodness, everything hurts. And why, you know, why can't I lose weight sometimes? And, you know, because I have to eat a lot of plain things that don't interrupt my, uh, digestive system. So it's, it is, it's a very, uh, constant struggle. I think that, as you said, you mentioned it in relation to, um, females, but I think it's a, a, Thing for males that males struggle with as well, and that's a, a really good question. I'm I'm glad that you that you asked that and really just um, gave me a chance to address it because it's something that is not discussed a lot in the uh, disability community. I don't I don't believe it can be uh, very like I said very frustrating to not be able to um, you know not feel the way that I want to feel and or the way that I think I should feel you know, look the way that I think I should look based off of the uh, body, uh, body positivity, body image perspective. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's so interesting how a lot of the health stuff that we're told, like eating more vegetables and drinking more water is something that you're not able to do fully because of certain limitations. And I feel like that is such a, a struggle because it's just like two forces colliding. And how have you you know, come to terms with that? Or is that something that you're still struggling to deal with?
1: It's something that I, um, that I really struggle with. For me, with my job, with the nonprofit, I've always worked from home. And then with the job, with Our View, I've, I make my own schedule and I was able to create my own schedule of when I would go out and do things. And uh, with the nonprofit, uh, Jake's Place Job, I would always know like when I had a meeting coming up weeks in advance, most of the time. So if I know that I'm going to be home for a good stretch of days, three or four days, or if I'm going to be home from say a Friday to uh, Monday or Tuesday of the following week. Yeah. I will enjoy all the water and the vegetables I, I want because <laughs> I'm at home. <laughs> but if I, if I know I have to go out, I have to be careful. Mm. So, um, it's, it's a thing of knowing your own, knowing my body and, and just uh, trying to figure that out. And again, looking ahead and uh, someone mentioned to me the other day that living with a disability is like an obstacle course, a different one every day, in that you never know what twist or turn is coming up next. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, uh, but you always have to kind of look ahead to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. And that's really how I uh, really how I, I have to live life, which, of course, I've gotten used to it. Uh, it's supposed to snow here uh, tomorrow, actually, um, which is uh, Tuesday, um, but it's supposed to snow here. So I had to I look at the weather all the time in the wintertime and even in the summertime to make sure it's not going to thunderstorm or something if I plan to be out. Cause I have a lot of metal uh, on my braces and my crutches. And I'm like, I don't want to take that chance of being out in the thunderstorm or mm-hmm. if it's going to snow, I, you know, I might slide on my, using my crutches outside. So I have to prepare. And I went to the store on Friday uh, just mm-hmm. to have some snacks and things. So yeah, just really being prepared for, you know, as far as the food, uh, the diet goes and, and what I eat and consume, knowing my body and knowing what uh, in what ways, you know, this food or, or this fluid, this water might, this water intake might, how it might impact my, my system is uh, something I'm constantly thinking about. Mm-hmm.
0: I love how you compared it to an obstacle course because your preparation and your familiarity with your own body is kind of like the work that you're doing and making playgrounds or obstacle courses more accessible for people. Yes. So <laughs> like what you're doing is making your own life um, more user-friendly for yourself, I guess
1: yes exactly and that it takes time it's um it takes time and sometimes i slip up and i'm like oh well i i'm going out but i still want to have this you know this thing and it's just like okay yeah i probably shouldn't have had that <laughs> <laughs> but i think we all you know we all make those mistakes or we all indulge in those types of uh things in those types of situations so mm-hmm. uh you know again it makes it makes me no different than anybody else because yeah. I, I know we all uh you know, we all want that extra piece of cake, even though we uh, maybe shouldn't have it, or <laughs> or whatever. So
0: yeah. Also, I recently came across a statement in a book that I've been reading that kind of relates to what we're talking about. It says, "Health is not a moral obligation," because there seems to be a very non-inclusive idea of what health is nowadays. Again, due to like the growing wellness industry, and I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on that because. People aren't always able to prioritize or pursue health due to certain limitations like poverty, food and job insecurities, or disabilities, just to name a few. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that.
1: that that's a great topic because for someone as myself with the limitations that I have of moving around of my mobility, it does make it difficult. Uh, I had a conversation with someone on my podcast uh, talking about the, uh, again, the wellness, uh, things, the wellness trends and things that are going on. And you hear a lot of, uh, gluten-free types of diets and things like that. And it's like, yeah, that's great, but they don't get too specific as, uh, for like what I just explained for my situation of what, if you can't eat too many vegetables or drink too much water and like, how do you do that? And then also with the, um, these new bikes that came out recently, the Peloton bikes, Mm. where, um, you know, it's like, why can't they create a hand cycle option for people who can't use their legs? Mm. Like that would be, (laughs) that would be great. There's a great way to make more money because someone like myself, I can't use my legs, but I'd love, you know, you can use the hand cycles why not create an option for people with disabilities? Mm. Um, So it it is difficult and frustrating to, um, I think to have such a limited number of options of things to do as far as health. And uh, of of course I I want to, and and need to uh, do things to stay as healthy as possible. My, my disability does not uh, progress. It doesn't get worse as I get older, but, at the same time, that also means I have to do some type of work to make sure that I can still stay active, mm-hmm. because just like with anything, if you if you don't use it, you lose it. So I have to stay active and keep my arms and shoulders in shape so I can use them to move my wheelchair, to use them to use my crutches. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just to to not have to not have many options as people without disabilities have is. Um, very frustrating, and it makes it difficult to, uh, you know, try to stay healthy and stay active.
0: Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you to stay active, like, especially now that you know we're in the midst of a pandemic? How has that impacted your own routine and like how you remain moving?
1: It has. It has been rough, uh, especially now we're in the middle of winter and uh, it's it's cold. Like I said, it's supposed to snow tomorrow. But I I live in a really cool town that has a main street that um, runs through town. And I would get in my wheelchair and wheel up the street to, uh, you know, just to get exercise. And I'm two blocks from the main street, so I would just wheel up there. I think in total, it's maybe like a mile or so uh, from here to like the corner store. And I would just go pick up a few things. I'd do that maybe a couple times a month. In the summertime, I go, uh, they have a, a boardwalk at the beach so I would go and and wheel there, a couple times uh, during the summer. But uh, typically, uh, I, I did go swimming a few times. I like to swim. So, but then again, these are all dependent upon the weather. Yeah. <laughs> so, and yeah. finding again, finding a gym, finding a gym that has like an indoor pool where the membership isn't two hundred dollars a month. <laughs> is again, something very difficult to find. Mm -hmm. Um, And then having it approved by your insurance and covered by insurance, that's a whole process. And you're, you know, three or six months in before your insurance kicks in. So you've already put out the, you know, a couple hundred dollars to pay for the membership. So it does it, it really makes you, makes you really picky and makes you pick and choose what you, you know, how you do it and how you, uh, what you choose to do to help to help yourself and what makes it, I guess, what, what makes it worth it to you as an individual of what you're going to prioritize uh, one thing over another, which is uh, sometimes a difficult choice. But as I said, like my one thing is I will, I'll put out the money for my floats. Like I'll, I'll do that. And uh, everything else, it's, it's kind of like, I do have a hand cycle that I have in the house. So I'll I'll use that as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's just, it, it, it is, it's a very, very difficult thing to to try to uh, figure out, like I said, what you're going to prioritize and how you're going to make things work. It's much better and much easier to figure out when the weather's nice as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Do
0: you think this lack of accessibility to certain things is like a systemic problem? Or do you think it's a social problem? Or like, because again, I just keep going back to the gym membership thing. It's just so expensive and it's not... Accessible for people, period. Right. Like, doesn't matter. Sh- it really frustrates me because, personally, I think it's a systemic problem that these things have become, or maybe capitalism. It's just like it's become things have become so expensive, so inaccessible, so non inclusive. And, but I, I don't really know where to start to
1: mm-hmm.
0: begin to tackle this problem.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's a I think it is a systemic problem and also a social problem because uh, use, using a line that we often hear when we are presenting for um, our playgrounds, people really have said, "Why are you building a playground for kids with disabilities? I've never seen a kid with a disability on a playground because they can't get to it because mm-hmm. it has mulch or gravel on it." that's why you've never seen them on it. And I think it, it goes back to like the gym, you know, why don't they have, or like the, the bikes that I mentioned, why don't they have an option for people with disabilities where it's a hand cycle? Mm -hmm. Because they, I don't know if they're aware that people with disabilities would want to work out. Yeah. And I don't know, again, I don't know how you begin to tackle that problem. It's like, do you get 100 people to write a letter to this company and say, like, hey, did you ever think about doing this? I have a disability. I would love to, uh, you know, have a hand cycle. <laughs> would yeah. love to do that. So I, I think it's one of those things. Um, and I, I hear it in, in many different ways. I hear it when I go out to, um, to concerts. And I hear from the ushers or other people that work at the venue, oh, it's nice to see you out. And it's just like, huh? <laughs> like, yeah, I go out all the time. But then I'm sitting in the accessible seating section that's reserved for people with disabilities. And me and the guests that I'm with are the only people sitting there. And it's a space that's big enough for maybe 20 people. Mm -hmm. So it's just like, I get what you mean, because you don't see people with disabilities coming out to concerts Mm -hmm. for whatever reason. My reason is what I what I believe part of the reason is things still are not accessible for people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. So it's like rather than go through the hassle of going out and, and taking transportation, because if you can't drive, you, you know, you might be bound by taking a bus or a train and wondering if the elevator is going to be working, thinking of all that kind of stuff again ahead of time mm-hmm. <laughs> and planning for it. Because uh, some people, and um, you know, I I could walk up steps if, steps if I had to, but for some people that's not an option. So if the elevator's broken, they can't do anything. They can't get into the building or up to where their seats might be. Mm. So instead, they just might choose to stay home. Mm. So that makes, like I said, that makes for an empty accessible seating section when I go to a concert with one of my friends, mm. and I, I get comments like, "Oh, well, it's, it's good to see you out." And I like to say, yeah, they let me out on the fourth Saturday of every month. Like, I, like, what do you say to that kind of thing? I don't, I still don't know. But, um, you know, so I, I think it's a systemic problem and a, a social problem that because they, people really don't see those uh, who have disabilities out too often, they don't have to think about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's not on their list. It's not on, it's, it's not a priority for them to make options available for those who have disabilities, because I think they, they don't, I don't know if it's like they, um, say, for instance, a gym chooses to lower the price of membership for people with disabilities, they might not think that they'll get a, a large response from people because they've never seen people with disabilities working out in their gym before mm-hmm. not realizing it's because we can't really afford your $200 gym membership. When our disability check is only, you know, 600 or $700 a month. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like we need that money to buy food, but we could possibly afford a, a 50 or a, you know, $75 a month membership. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think it's kind of like a, like a chicken or the egg kind of thing like which yeah. like what do you yeah like what do you do
0: yeah it's um, like where does the and, cycle begin
1: <laughs> right where does it begin and how do you break into it and start to change it
0: mm-hmm. where
1: I think uh, again as 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 we mentioned I forget if we were recording or not but it's the lack of our stories being told as people with disabilities you know, you look at me and you see me in a wheelchair and I'm pushing myself in the wheelchair. I don't have a motorized wheelchair. It's a manual chair that I push myself. And, you know, you might think that that's the only workout that I get, but uh, yeah, I also like to swim. And I also, there's again, at the the river I live near, they have a sidewalk that goes all the way around and it's like three miles around. So I, I like to go out there and just wheel around once. I don't go too crazy. <laughs> but, uh, you know, go out with a friend or so and and just wheel around, not nothing, nothing fast, but it's still getting three miles of pushing in. And my friend gets three miles of walking in. But it's, uh, it, I think it's just one of those things where you have to, um, like I said, you don't know where the cycle begins and, and how to really get in to break up that cycle to say, like, hey, we want to, you know, we want to participate in these things, too, as people with disabilities. And, I think the lack of having people with disabilities at those tables where they're creating these options and these uh, pieces of equipment, uh, exercise equipment, and all those kinds of things, I I think that's where we can hopefully start sometime soon with having people with disabilities at the table to talk about these things.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like when you're on social media and you only follow a certain type of people and you think that those are the only people that exist in the world, but there are so many other people who are different from you, have different backgrounds from you. And it's just so frustrating. And like you said, gym memberships being too expensive and you know, not seeing people with disabilities at the gym because they're so expensive to begin with. Or if companies wanna start investing in perhaps a more user-friendly gym equipment, they might right. consider whether this is worth investing in because people with disabilities don't come to the gym, but it's because you don't have these things. So it's just like, it right. really, <laughs> where does it
1: begin? Right. right. Yeah. It's like you have, you know, you have twenty treadmills, but then you only have ten sets of like free weights that I could use. I can't use a treadmill, but I can use free weights. So yeah, it, it is. It's a whole cycle of, you know, where where does it start and how do you stop it? Yeah. <laughs> Is the hard thing. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So I really appreciate the work that you're doing because I understand that we're doing is educating people and bringing awareness and shifting the conversation around disabilities for people who may not be too familiar with the, the lives of people living with physical and or mental disabilities. And I was looking through your website or the RV website of the core values that you preach like education, collaboration compassion, simplicity, diversity, and empathy. And the two um, values that really resonated with me were simplicity and diversity. Because when you said simplicity, you said that our view has multiple learning models that are appropriate for various age groups, because you believe that no person is too young or too old to learn. And that really resonated with me, as well as diversity, because you said that, Oftentimes we engage with those who appear to be different on the outside. And we find that we are more similar than we are different. I'm curious to to hear more from your perspective because I just think that we can all hold more compassion for people living with disabilities.
1: Yes, it's so true. I always, uh, when I do my presentations with uh, students I always tell them to talk to someone who looks different than they do. Mm. And that can be anything can be a different eye color, different hair color, different skin color, or uh, someone with a disability. It can be anything. And when it comes down to it, you will always find that you have so much more in common. (laughs) You like doing the same things. Uh, One of the icebreakers that I do, uh, I I choose different things depending on the age group. I always uh, ask questions like who likes roller coasters, who likes, um, again, I live in New Jersey close to the beach, who likes going to the beach, who likes swimming, who likes going to football games and all kinds of different questions that I ask. And the kids get really excited. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. Oh, I love that. And and I'm like, yeah, well, guess what? So do I. And they see me and they're just, and it always happens. I always say, one of my things is I always say who likes to swim. And I say, I do too. And they're like, wait, you're in a wheelchair. What do you mean you (laughs) like to swim? (laughs) <laughs> how, how do you do that? What do you mean? Uh, you know, or who likes to go for a long ride in the car? And, and I'm like, yeah, I like to drive. I like to go for long drives in the car. And they are like, what do you mean you drive a car? You said your legs don't work, but it's just like, yeah, I, I do. I do drive a car. So it's breaking down all of those stereotypes, which in my case, I use disabilities, but it can be used for race, for gender, for anything, you know, any difference, religious, religious differences, just to talk to someone who you, who you perceive as being different than you. And you'll see that you have so much more in common than you have differences. And that is, um, it's something that I never, I was never told that in those specific words, but it's through seeing my, my friends now, um, who I have in my life again, who I've had since middle school and, and college, I, I'm African American. I have friends who are Caucasian, and their kids call me Uncle Art. And I, I had a, one of my one of my nieces. Uh, she had a party over the summer at a um, at a playground, and she came over to me and she hugged me when I got there, and I was in my wheelchair, and she went back to her friends, and one of her friends said oh, well, who was that? And she said, it's my uncle. And her friend said, your uncle. And she said, yes, my uncle. (laughs) And her friend was just so confused. And she just looked at her again, and she said, he's my uncle. Mm
0: -hmm. And the
1: girl said, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But it's just, you know, and they're kids, so it's like she understood, like, okay, you look totally different than he does. Like, how in the Mm -hmm. world is that your uncle? And I know what an uncle means. It doesn't look like it's your mom or your dad's brother. Mm -hmm. So, like, (laughs) how does that happen? (laughs) But, um, you know, just to to raise children, um, to accept differences, and to understand them, and to understand uh, what they mean, but to also embrace them and know that it's okay. And that's what I love about the interactions I have with my friends, uh, children, and even my um, my biological nieces and nephews that I have. Just the fact that that uh, my niece and nephew, they grew up with me in their life. So they know uh, about my braces. They know about my crutches. And so they're not afraid of someone who shows up in their class mm-hmm. with braces or crutches or in a wheelchair. It's like, oh, my uncle has one. It's no no big deal. Mm -hmm. and it's, um, that's how I met one of my really best friends in ninth grade. I was, it was my first day in the new high school, and she comes up to me, and she says, hi. She tells me her name. She says, I don't know what your disability is, but my brother has spina bifida. He uses a wheelchair. If you need help with transferring or anything, everybody knows who I am. You just tell them to find me, and I'll help you and I'm like, wow, I have spina bifida too. She's like, what? (laughs) So, you know, so, and, and we've been friends ever since, but it was just one of those things where she saw me and she did, she had no idea what my disability was, but it was just like, okay, I, he uses a wheelchair like my brother. So I'm just gonna, Hey, I can, I can help you out. And she introduced me to some of her friends and she was like, they know how to do stuff too. So if you need any of us, just let us know. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, so, so that's what I really aim to do. And even as I said, with the simplicity part, it doesn't matter what age you are, because the older generations, the generation older than, than I am, even they have certain stereotypes and thoughts that they hold about people with disabilities. And it's just like, okay, like I understand that's what you were taught and that's how you were brought up and that's what you have been made to believe. But like, hey, let's let's try to change that. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, let's stop using those outdated terms and let's start, uh, you know, coming up to the present day and uh, really accepting people uh, for their differences. And it, again, it, it, it just happens that my case happens to be disabilities and, you know, and that I'm African-American. So I, I add that in there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh but it can be it can be applied to anything again, religious differences and gender and uh different hair colors and and races and, and things like that. But I just really believe that everybody has a desire to learn and and for the most part, people want to do better. <laughs> uh and they want to be kind and they want to um, you know, like I said, they they want to learn. I, I believe that, and especially with uh children.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't stop smiling. I feel like, I feel- <laughs> oh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I just feel so inspired. I'm just so happy right now. <laughs> oh, good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, I have one last question to end the podcast. It's a question that I ask everyone who comes onto my show. Since my podcast it's called is called the It's Growing Season podcast, I believe that just like crops, humans go through different seasons in their lives. So I wanted to ask you, how would you define this season in your life?
1: This season in my life, I am definitely wow, that's great. I love that question. my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> I can say that I am in the I'm in the watering phase and growing as I get watered, which for me is learning mm. and, and I'm constantly learning. I don't know everything. Uh, and, and I'm humble enough to admit that <laughs> I don't know everything, even about spina bifida or being African-American, but I can tell you again, I can tell you my story and my experience of, of living uh, with a disability being black in America and, and having a disability, but I'm also always open to learning and connecting with people who, who can, as as I said, the watering, so the people who can pour into me their knowledge and their understanding of things is uh, where I'm at. And that as I'm growing from that watering, to be able to um, spread that knowledge to everybody else as I grow and grow tall and strong as I'm being watered to, uh, again, share, share my knowledge and my newly gained knowledge of um, what I'm learning with others, I think is the season and of stage of growth that I'm in right now.
0: Yeah, I love that so much. I love one. that
1: question, though. That is such a great question. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's great.
0: <laughs> I'm sure everyone listening will want to learn more about you and the work that you do. So what um, what services do you offer and where, listener, where can listeners find you?
1: Okay, great. So um, you can find me on social media. I'm on um, everything. I'm on Twitter and uh, YouTube and uh, Instagram. It's our View for Life, O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. So you can find me on all, all of the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. And then the podcast is the Our View podcast, O-U-R-V-I-E-W, podcast that is, um, wherever you listen to your podcast is where it can be found. And um, as far as my my services that I offer, I'm I'm still working on creating a virtual experience for uh, companies. With companies, I really try to um, talk about how you can better serve your customers who have disabilities, and also assist your employees who you may be hiring who have disabilities, because that is thankfully becoming more prevalent where people are hiring those who have disabilities. So that is. uh, What I primarily do uh, with companies and then hosting assemblies for uh, schools to just share my story and um, giving students a chance to ask questions, which I think is a really big thing that they don't get a chance to do often, especially for people encounters they may have uh, with people who have disabilities so Um, I'm working on that but stay tuned to my social media for all of that and and when that will be coming soon.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Arthur thank you so much for joining me today it was such an honor to have this conversation with you and thank you for the work that you do in educating and raising awareness for people who live with disabilities. Um, I learned so much today and I'm sure everyone listening did too.
1: Oh, great. And thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And um, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. So thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to leave me a review and give me a follow. And you can also find me on my Instagram at mags.lee and at its growing season, as well as my website, which is growwithmaggie.com. And you'll be able to find all of this in the show notes below. Thank you so much again for taking the time to listen and I hope to see you in a future episode. Bye everybody!